Hello, family. We got Diesel and Reezer back, and we will have... Diesel and Reezer. Our vengeance, because we know you guys have missed us so much over the past couple weeks. But we are back. We have returned from the north. <laughs> we are riding from east and west and meeting somewhere in the center of the land. Mm -hmm. A meeting of the minds regarding two films. One very good, the other questionable. The first, Gladiator. Directed by Ridley Scott. Screenplay by David Franzoni, John Logan, and William Nicholson. The second, The Northman. Directed by the auteur Robert Eggers. He who has a very toned upper body and has made the other films The Witch and The Lighthouse. That's right. And it okay, and it was now, uh, <laughs> every, everyone who decided was, to uh, either shut this off or, yeah. or unsubscribe from our podcast due to we understand our, um, <laughs> attempts at gravely voices uh, uh, and, and gravelly. Gravelly, gravelly, sorry, gravelly and machismo. Um, we, we we absolutely respect it. So the the homies who wrote um, the Northmen are Robert Eggers and Sion. Sion is an Icelandic poet, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, has a real name, but decides to go by the, the singular name, which is cool. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Hey. And um, monikers are, to each are, their are own. all the all the all the uh, the rage these days. Are they? Somewhat. I've been meeting a lot of directors, especially in the commercial and music video world, and everybody just goes by one name, and it's cool, oh, you God. know. Frankly, I, I'm thinking about it. I'm actually thinking about it at some point. Oh, yeah? What, what would it be? Uh, I'm thinking about... Are you serious? I, I, I'm like half serious, actually. Not, what would it be? It would be a nickname that my godmother gave to me uh, when, I was a, when I was a child. Um, well, technically, my grandmother and then my godmother, she just like made it like cool. And it's, I'm on the edge of my seat. So my name is Stefan, and uh, they call me... In Creole, my name is Stefan, and the the sort of slang way of saying my name is Fafan. So they would just be like Fafan, and and then I I've thought about just going as Fafan. Wow. Well, that would be that would be really interesting. Um, <laughs> Fafan and Reeser, dude. I know, right? <laughs> Okay, let's uh, let's get down to brass tacks. Brass tacks. But what is it you were gonna give me shit about? Having I said I, I made a comment about having just finished Gladiator, and then you were like, "I'll save it for the pod." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jeff just finished watching Gladiator, like not too long before uh, this pod, uh, or at least I mean this this is not your not for your first viewing. And I was my my first text was just gonna ask you like, did you cry? Because. I kind of did actually, like, dude. I, like I rewatched it, and I was trying so hard not to, but like I'm sorry, that ending is so good. It is so soulful, and and Jimun Honsu's face is just like the ho the homie brings such weight to like three lines. I mean, that guy's like a um a secret secret weapon for. 2000s melodrama basically yes they just throw that guy in there and in five seconds the audience just it's like oh okay it's like <laughs> you just 
Like, you're just he just says one word. He's like, you are on board. We will see. And you're just like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I, whatever this dude does, I am in support. I, I just, give a shit about him. I, I, I want him to take care of my kids. You know, he just and, represents like, I don't even I mean, it's almost cheap. Like, I was almost going to complain about it because I mean, yeah, by the end it works. But. It's it's almost a, a like a joke. Like yeah. he's just kind of like like everything he says. We're just supposed. To, it's like gospel, mm-hmm. basically. But you know that's also kind of sick. Yeah. I mean, he's a great. He's a, it's nothing against him. He is a great actor. But um, but yeah, I gotta say, like, I had, I did not have a lot working in my favor in terms of how I watched it um, because I watched it in pieces. I probably watched, I, I, this is terrible viewing habits, but I probably watched this, this movie this time in like 10 pieces at like 10 or like five or 10 different, different times. Like I restarted or watched would watch like 10 minutes or whatever. And then, and at one point in the middle of this process, I was like, this movie is not really working on me. Like, like this is kind of losing. Like the the beginning is so strong, and then like somewhere in the middle, I'm just like, like the melodrama wasn't really quite working for me, and and I was just a, I was like all this afterlife shit. It's just too much, and then like by the third act, like it, once the last thirty minutes of it get going, it's there's so much momentum behind it, and also and and. It's yeah, like you said, it's just such a powerful ending. By the end of it, I I was tearing up a little bit. Um, Let's dig into that. Very. Let's dig into that. Such such persuasive filmmaking. Yeah. Go ahead. So okay. So for those who haven't seen, and uh, I mean, well, you should watch these two movies. You should watch every movie that we talk about because honestly, uh, well, especially Gladiator. Yeah, it also doesn't. (laughs) Especially Gladiator and The Matrix and like yeah. I just I just keep realizing that it doesn't really make sense to listen to this podcast if you haven't seen the movies because it's like. We, we, we get maybe it, you know yeah I mean, we spoil the whole thing exactly yeah. but if you if you're on the fence about it then maybe we can help convince you mm, that you should right. watch the movies you know what I'm saying but yeah gladiator is I mean how, how long is this film it's it's like nearly three hours right it's, it's like 225 225 uh this is this is a historical epic right so you know today we're talking to historical Actually, it's epic. Two, 235 235 so. And um, it follows uh, this character, uh, Maximus. Um, his name is, uh, what's his full name? Um, Maximus, Maximus Decimus Meridius. Yeah, there it is. And Who is not a real, not a real person. Right, right. But inspired by but, a real person who killed Commodus. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I believe. I mean, it, it, it's sort of encapsulates the hero's journey in this movie. I mean, it's pretty much, it starts off with, you know, this, this general who is uh, such a great warrior and, uh, and, and he's leading this battle against barbarians um, in the outskirts of, uh, as, of Rome. Right. And they win this battle and the, uh, the emperor is, is dying and the emperor wants to return Rome to being more of a, democratically run republic with a senate and um he can see in his son you know that his son is too clouded morally to take the reins and he wants maximus to be his successor his son is envious and can sort of sense these things 
and um, ends up murdering his father. And after he murders his father, the son declares himself the new emperor. And the son and his sister are now, you know, sort of ruling, ruling the empire. And Maximus, knowing that the father was murdered, even though people, you know, won't believe that this happened, decides to disobey or disrespect their new throne. They try to murder him. He escapes. They kill his wife and his son in the most mm. brutal fucking way. They hang them and burn the entire village. And then thus, thus begins this massive hero's journey, you know, of him going across the desert um, to basically... Well, he becomes... You know, yeah, he, he's all fucked up after escaping his death and and uh, he gets injured and then he like gets so despondent after his his uh, family's dead so he's just kind of laying around in i guess it's supposed to be uh in spain right because mm-hmm. he goes home to, Sp- to spain and then he basically just gets picked up by some nomads and then and then he gets put into the slave trade which is a really like cool part of the movie the way that's shot but but yeah, so yeah, he gets put into the slave trade, and then that means that he gets sold as a gladiator because he's in good shape. He starts dominating as a gladiator, and then they take the show on the road, and then yeah. they go finally to the Colosseum, and then it starts to get the attention of the Roman people, and they start to refer to him as the Spaniard. He's got a cool mask. Yeah, he gets a cool mask. Um, <laughs> very cool mask. I love that scene where all where there's like those crates or those there's like a rack of like all these little trinkets that they can choose from. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. like a bunch of masks and there's like some some cool like armor and some shields. It's yeah. like how fun, you know, like yeah, you're a slave, but like you get to pick from all these different things. It's like, you know, whatever you want, whatever you think matches your swag and, yeah. you know, it's like a good luck charm. Like, you know, that, that's so fun. That's so... I, I loved I loved reading a little bit about the context of this because a lot of, a lot of this was true, the way that these, the gladiator phenomenon in sport was, was exhibited and run back in the day. They, they, they had like sponsorships even back then they had sponsorships with products and they even had gladiators who would would be sponsored. They didn't have that in the film because they didn't think audiences would believe it. So they actually removed that from the script. But I thought that was really interesting, you know, that, um, that, you know, like what what we have with our NBA and, and, and with, uh, I mean, shit, yeah, NFL or even just watching boxing or UFC, we have, you know, like people who walk into these, uh, into these arenas, worth 50 million dollars ready to you know kill each other um so to speak uh and and yeah and back in the day they were doing the same thing so for for thousands of years we've been doing this and um spectators have have loved this and i think that's definitely why this movie did so goddamn well right i mean how, it, the, it blew up the box office you're saying it did well because of its relevancy to sports? Yeah, I think I think uh, I think its relevancy to sports and it's such a I mean it, the movie is such spectacle based on like yeah. this match and 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 it's it's such a beautifully rendered epic revenge tale set it's like a boxing movie. Uh, you know like Gladiator is like, you know, but this is a old bit, school. Yeah. You know, it has the structure of like a boxing film but 
Uh, but you know, obviously, it's a historical epic with, with no training montage. Right, right, right. No training montage because he's already a badass. But um, yeah, it's got it's got a nice blend of elements. It's like kind of has that sports movie thing because because like there's the matches. Mm-hmm. You know, like the match. Like that is one great thing about sports films is that all of the scenes, all the dialogue scenes and stuff are all anchored by these events. It creates a great structure if it's, if it's, i mean it's just like a classic structure and so just like you know so people can know uh the character of maximus is inspired by this wrestler named narcissus who is a wrestler you know around the the second century and uh this wrestler was hired by conspirators to murder the emperor commodus um okay there and you go. and there you and go. he he ended up killing him in his in his sleep i believe um, and he worked with with uh, his wife to do th- to do so. So th- that that was sort of like the basis of this, but obviously they sort of fluffed it into this like this epic and and uh, more of a tale about vengeance and. The, I mean, I'm very curious to know exactly. Like I read a little bit about it, but I'm I'm very curious about how this evolved because I feel like it it evolved from a from a David Franzioni pitch mm-hmm. which i believe was i mean you know he obviously wanted the gladiator element um and the kind of spartacus also spartacus is a huge inspiration for yes this. um so there's that i mean just the idea of going from from slave to this was probably i mean since spartacus this was probably like the next massive historical epic in the in, uh, about yeah at least this this part of the world, right? Mm. Maybe I don't know. Well, there there was a lot. There were a lot in the seventies, and or sorry, in the sixties, there were a lot of Roman epics. Spartacus was nineteen sixty, I want to say, or sixty one, and then I think that Ben Hur was also sixty one, and then uh, they made other. There were like a slew of of Roman sword and sandals epics. Um, in the sixties, like Cleopatra was nineteen sixty three, I believe, and then like, um, that that sort of there was one. Oh yeah, they I haven't seen it, but there's one called, I think, the Fall of the Roman Empire, which came out in the mid sixties, mm. um, which Anthony Mann directed, and um, so I mean there was a whole trend for a while, and then it really died at a certain point. But um, but yeah, the ones that we care about still, I feel like are. Spartacus, Ben Hur, Gladiator. The list yeah. is pretty short, I would right, say. Right, yeah. It's a difficult genre. I think as much as it was done in the sixties, I think it is it's a it's a hard thing to recreate. And obviously we'll oh my we'll, God. we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll delve into this with the Northmen, but not only just detail wise, I mean like but you're just looking at like I mean, there are such strong religious themes in here and spiritual themes and yeah, like this thing is fueled by vengeance, but there's a lot going on in this movie. I, I give I give props to Ridley for this too, because I'm not sure the screenplay always services all these characters, but he does a good job of just like every stop on this journey, every character, you can really feel the sort of pathos of the people who are uh, being put into slavery and forced to become these gladiators. You, you, you feel, you feel the, the fear, you feel the pain, you feel the torment. There, there are so many moments, you know, I'm thinking of like that first, 
that first battle when they're all in the elevator, you know, in these old school elevators. And, and that's, this is before they oh, even yeah. get to the Coliseum, but there's a sequence when they're all standing there and, you know, like it's going up and you just, you know, like you can, you can see the sweat beating on everyone's face and you can yeah, kind of, you true. can kind of feel, true. you hear all the sound effects. The sound design is so good. You know, like it's just building up, you hear the crowd, but it's not hype. It's not like a, it's not it's dread. Yeah. Yeah. It's absolute dread. And, 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 you know, like these characters are praying and, and, oh yeah, there's a moment where Maximus looks down and sees a character peeing on himself. Yep, you know, that's, it, it's, yep really really sharp well, it's it's like it's like war i mean you know what i mean like because you're making these boxing comparisons but like that is the kind of moment that uh i mean it's funny our frame of reference for these things is so limited to movies in a way but yeah it's like that feels like a pre that feels like they're about to go into battle right and like the like saving private ryan guys, sequence yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah, yeah. yeah but like but basically yeah i mean what's so interesting too is that like Throughout the this, they show several different gladiator matches, and at a certain point, like right before one of the key ones starts, uh, the chariot one, which is probably my favorite, about like match. That's a great, um, beautifully choreographed match. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. and um, and before that, he goes, "Are there any? Are there any soldiers? Like they're all standing together, basically, and no. without looking around, he just says, "Are there any soldiers here?" And or are any of you soldiers? Were any of you soldiers or, or something? And they just go, oh yes, yes, I was, I was. And one guy goes, I served with you, and blah blah blah. And like, I just, I don't know. It's kind of a movie moment, but I also kind of bought it that like, he like imagine that other gladiator seeing this guy who's a slave and being like, I served with that guy. He was my general, and I'm not even going to say anything to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm taking this a little bit far, but I just I like uh I like the construction of that where it's like there's there's a recognition after a while that like uh that Maximus is still he's still a general. He still is a leader of men and he has such a um a strong sense of integrity that these men will just they'll will just gladly um follow follow him into battle. Yes. And and the fact that he's able to turn, because essentially a gladiator matches every man for himself, right? And then once he gives them a sense of empowerment that we can actually, he says, if we stick together, then we'll survive. And then they all form this unit. So it's not about, like, yes, it's about showmanship because he figures out a way to get the crowd to love him so that he can ascend as a gladiator. But he also figures out a way to get his men to survive. And that, that to me is a really compelling, I mean, that's a compelling good guy. You know what I mean? Like there's like, I was just thinking a lot about that in, in terms of this movie. Like I didn't even really, I wasn't fully conscious of it until, until maybe towards the third act where I was like, okay, this is just really a classic story of good and evil. It's just that the good is so interesting and so deeply felt in Maximus and right. the bad is so interesting and so deeply felt in, in Commodus. Like it really is like, um, it's kind of like the stuff we talk about when we talk about star Wars, where like the, like the best star Wars gives you a sense of true evil mm -hmm. and, and that like the Sith, the, uh, Sith ethos or whatever the Sith psychology pathology rather is like, um, narcissism 
Yeah. You know, it's it's a sense of like indulging in emotions and putting your own emotions first and and only being sensitive to your own emotions and not others. And I feel like Commodus embodies that and I think and I feel like Maximus embodies a sense of um you know, he cares about family. Like he cares about his soldiers as family and he cares about his family and th- those are his priorities yes and it's and it's so clear like from the from the beginning yeah. they, they even say that. yeah from the in the in the opening sequence after that first battle i i remember that there is a moment where um i forget who says it but they do they do mention that maximus all of the soldiers are so devoted to him you know yeah and, and um and you know, just just because of the way that he leads, and Russell yeah. Crowe is so perfectly cast because, I mean, it's it's in his face, it's in his eyes, it's in it's in the way that he walks and the way that he speaks that he's like he's both intimidating and also extremely he's like a teddy bear and so loving. His life, you know, his eyes are so loving. Yeah. There's so much. Um, he, there's so much empathy from him, you know, and he actually yeah like when when the emperor first offers him the ability to to lead rome he turns it down and i think that that right there is like screenwriting gold right just just like in terms of crafting a character the fact that this character who has all of this poise and can lead people into a new future turns it down in the beginning because he's like no i do this job you know and yeah and 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 he's so devoted he is so devoted to his job that he's willing to allow the corruption to continue because he's like, look, I'm, I do this well. And, and I know that this is, this is my lane, all of that other shit, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to take that on just for the sake of it. But then this, you know, like it's a vengeance tale because they end up murdering his wife and son. Yes. However, we don't know the wife and son. We're not really introduced to those characters. Yeah. Right. The movie mm-hmm. yeah. is fueled more because he told the emperor no, and then this man is so devoted to his word, and this is why the audience latches on to him so well, I think. He's so devoted to his word, and he's such an empathetic individual that him knowing that the emperor was murdered by Commodus, his son, his journey is more in, in vengeance because of the emperor's death than it is of his wife and son. Even though his wife and son are mentioned throughout, like that's 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 not who I you know like you know that the movie is fueled much more because of um, Richard Harris as Marcus Aurelius's Aurelius, emperor. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. To me, th- that that's sort of the narrative propulsion, you know, of the of the film. But then uh, watching it again, and and we'll get into this when we also you know like start talking about the Northmen. I will say yeah. there are some like old school things that I don't miss very much, you know, like in terms of filmmaking. Yeah. The slow shutter speed is well, a lot of that so is so many damn is, like extreme close-ups. A lot of that is post slow-mo. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's stuff that they captured and then they just, yeah, it's, it's post-production slow-mo, yeah. which is why it looks so, so weird. I mean, it just barely, they just get, they get away with it because the movie is so compelling. Right. But right. yeah, it's definitely a distraction and it's a, it's a, yeah, something of 
of a blight. Um, and even a lot of the scenes are so, uh, uh, you know, we go through these phases of cinematography and watching yeah. that movie, it's like so bright, you know, like, there's, you know, like you can almost see the, you can see the, like the Fresnels just yeah. blasting yeah. on characters' faces and there's a, yeah. there's a lamp here. And then like somehow this character is so beautifully lit and has this massive hair light right behind them. It's, it's yeah. a little uh, overly theatrical and, at some moments, yeah, like it, 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 it does look like a movie from even the '60s or something like that. But th those sort of things, I, I don't miss. But it was fun. It was funny to just see those now because now, like in cinematography these days, it's just like hide everything, right? Like I it, don't even make it seem like there's a light on on set. Yeah. You know, like at least yeah. for a, a lot of there's just a tendency. I mean, um, what's his what's his name is responsible for for this. Uh, the most famous cinematographer right now, the guy who did Frazier. Um, not well. Frazier is like Deakins. Deakins. There, yeah. Roger yeah. Deakins, I think, is pretty much responsible yeah. for leading the charge on like redefining cinematography to being absolutely naturalistic, which we need for the digital age. Because I mean, nothing looks worse in digital cinematography than like overly lit stuff. Yeah, but that's right. That was one of the things that took me out of it and also i was watching on someone's television i was spending the night at someone's house and we were watching on her tv and uh the color is just not right and i tried mm. the color is not right <laughs> yeah. this is, it's the movie and I, I no it is partially yes exactly and like it was kind of the tv but but no then i went back to it on my on my computer and i was like Oh, the color is just like really exaggerated in some some of the scenes, and it actually kind of bummed me out. Like it kind of got in the way of the movie. Like it made it so cartoony. Out of, mostly in the middle. Like I don't know. By the end, it didn't bother me as much. Yeah, but, I know what you mean. And I th in the yeah. middle in some of those palace scenes. Yes. So, yes. Uh, yeah, and some of those. And there's a lot of like there's a lot of like reds and golds mm -hmm. and just like ugh, like I'm gonna get sick. Yeah. When um, yeah. Lucilla. And Joaquin Phoenix uh, plays uh, Commodus and Connie Nielsen plays Lucilla. So the brother and sister, a lot of their scenes. So the sister is conspiring with uh, Maximus because they were former lovers, which were uh, introduced to later on in the film. They're former lovers. And also she she can sort of see the she sees the, the manipulation in her brother and is also fearful about her son. Um, being becoming and she's victim. fearful for her for herself for herself I mean, as well. He's also all over her. Like it's crazy. Yeah. So Lucille and her brother's scenes that deal with a lot of that incest are they're kind of, they're very disturbing. But then at the same time, I, I I will say another thing that they do pretty well. I'm not sure if this is a lot of the script, but it's also Joaquin Phoenix's performance and the way Ridley photographs him is that you also get a sense of a character who is so lonely. Yeah. You know, like I understood his psyche, even though it's not necessarily, I don't, I don't know if this script necessarily gives you all of that. Yeah. But I, I understood his loneliness because you have this character who just, who, who, who is almost just seeking acceptance and validation and love. and love and no one yeah. wants to give it. Yep. No one yep. wants to give it. Not his father, not his sister, not, you know, barely his, his nephew 
and and then he gets no respect from any of the soldiers or you know or 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 the generals or the senators so you know like this character is so is just so lonely you know that like you kind of you can kind of understand you you understand that and and they it's peppered in throughout like since the beginning you know this is not like kind of like a late thing i think that they do that very well of the audience sort of understanding you know like what's motivating him and 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 making him this way by the time that he's ready to stand up for himself for the first time and fight Russell Crowe, you know, as Maximus, that like, you're sort of ready for this mono e mono match, you know? Oh, you're, yeah. You're like, you're ready for it. And it's not only vengeance fueled, but like, it's balanced, you know? Like, you know, I think that you have sort of um, not equal stakes, but well-balanced stakes for, for both of them. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I've been I've been watching this movie since I was a kid and like, and I think it's not. I wouldn't necessarily say that I like the Commodus character, but uh, the the performance is so unbelievably compelling. Mm-hmm. The emotion is in every word, every look, every movement of this guy's performance. It's I. I mean, I used to be so like I used to think this was one of the best screen performances ever. I still think it's probably up there, but now I'm kind of. Yeah, I mean, I understand like there's other great performances in the movie, but I think it might be. I I mean, he sh- I think he should have won the Oscar for it. I think it's such a, yeah. it's such an in- intensely felt performance. It makes you feel for the guy, even though it, it doesn't. It doesn't matter in a sense like what a piece of shit he is, because you care about someone whose whose emotions are that real. You know, yeah. so I, I think that's part, is that part of what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, no. Joaquin Phoenix brings, uh, he just fucking brings it, you know, hundred percent. Really brings it. Um, I, I mean, it's just you know it goes to say why he's also just one of the greatest actors of his generation. I'm just thinking, like in that opening scene where he murders his father, I like I'm already sort of sold, and I get I get it, and that you know because like the way that he's hugging him, and like you know like the way that he kills him, it's not that he smothers him with a pillow and this this and that it's like he's literally hugging him so tightly and crying you know it's like yeah yes that is a very very good choice oh yeah (laughs) and they also don't and they also don't if you notice the way they shoot it they don't actually show his hands around his neck they show they show um basically commonus's face when he's like clenching his entire face and like crying and then they show um, Marcus Aurelius's hands gripping Commodus's back. Right. Also, like, shout out to um, this homie and, and rest in peace, because I thought he also gave a really great performance. Oh, Oliver um, Reed. Oliver Reed as Proximo, oh. the, the, the gladiator trainer who was also a former uh, he was gladiator. So good, he was just so good. And, and he also had allegiance to, um, to uh, the former emperor, Marcus uh because that's who gave him his freedom after after he won so many gladiator matches but um there's just a nice moment where like when russell crowe's just fucking killing it when maximus is winning and then you know he brings him into his chamber and he's like what do you want a woman a boy yeah you know like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know and i was just like yeah. it's just good he's just he just brought such swagger to it um and also, you know that, remember, I wanted to talk about this. You know that moment he, he, like, gives that speech, and then he looks 
out at the um, at like the view of Rome, and then he spreads his arm out, arms out like yes. this. Yes. Like, I mean, it works because like that guy, the like the character is theatrical. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? And like, it actually works that he would do that in that moment. But like, that's a hard sell um, to to buy that kind of moment. I thought he did that just beautifully. Yeah, I think this is a good moment to sort of bring up, you know, that like what this movie does and what we don't see a lot of in modern cinema is when you're doing a film that 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 encompasses such a such a dark tone and heavy subject matter, we're talking about these micro moments that yeah. add to a consummate experience. And I think that, and, 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 and yeah. I, I think that's one thing, one thing that you and I both notice pretty often, you know, because, because we love movies like this. We love movies like this because even when the script is not there, which we've said that, and, and a lot of actors even working on this movie said that they had, I mean, there were so many issues that they had with the script in the making of, the, of Gladiator. Um, but at the same time, what Ridley was able to capture and the performers and, and just the sense of filmmaking at this time is creating a sense of scope and, and uh, you know, and in making a consummate experience so that even, even though, yes, this is such a he heavy subject matter, you have, su there are moments of absolute, like some scenes are so fucking hilarious, right? Yeah. Like they're so hilarious and they're actually spiritual and and sometimes you know like some of these even side moments with like like you know char characters just goofing off. The fo the moment that I feel like you're thinking of uh, that I'm thinking of is where um, there's this incredible sense where um, Maximus is becoming like a name. He's yeah. basically becoming a household name in Rome, right. and and he's worried for his life. And the stakes have raised. He's went from a slave to gladiator to now like a famous gladiator. And basically the slaves are all having lunch. Maximus gets his, um, gets his bowl of slop or whatever. And then right. he sits down with his, with his friends. Yeah. And there's, there's Jimin, what's his name? Jimin Honsu. Yeah. yeah Jimin Honsu. Yeah. Yeah. And then this other guy, I don't know the actor's name, but he's like a very tall classic looking. Ralph Muller. Uh, yeah. Nice. That's nice. Hagen. Um, I like that guy. I like that he guy. And, um, and there's and then Maximus basically has this moment with his food where he's not eating it because he, he thinks he might be, it might be poisoned. Yeah. Well, well, he doesn't say that, but like yeah. he just has this moment with the food, and he's being very serious and very paranoid. And then the Rolf guy, without words, reaches his spoon over and takes uh and takes a, a scoop of of the, the food yeah. and then eats it and then pretends to choke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then Maximus looks at him like holy shit. And then he realizes that it's just that it's he's that just, he's kidding. He's just around. And then, yeah. yeah, he's just digging around. And then Maximus, he then he cracks a smile. And it's beautiful because of the way that Russell Crowe plays it. And it's also just such a brilliant like idea for a scene because it's like we've reached a point where Maximus is now taking himself really seriously. Yes. And his friend but his friends are making sure that he keeps his ego in check. Yes. Yes. Like it's actually it's such it's actually such a thorough moment of storytelling oh. and like, and it's done without any dialogue. There's no dialogue. Um, and then, I mean, and then like the actors, they all laugh at such genuine 
energy yeah. and camaraderie that like you cannot. I thought, help I thought Rolf like, went a little over the top. You know? I thought Rolf went a little over. He was the top, a little over yeah. the top. Yeah, but like he's such a big hulking figure that even in that time, I could see that that guy being over the top. You know what I mean? Like he just, he earns it. That's true. Yeah. That's, true. That's um, true. Or or another one is the scene where Judah, played by Jimin Hunsu, and Maximus is basically looking at. Uh, these these figurines that he has that represent yes. uh, his you know his his lost wife and and son, and Judah comes in and sees him in the middle of the night and it's candlelit and he sees him and he's like, can you? He's asking Maximus, can you talk to them in the afterlife? And he's like, yes, I can. And he's like, what do you? Say oh to yeah. Them? Oh he's my like, god. And he's like, what do you? Oh, what do you say god. to them? And he's like, well, to my son, you know, I'm you know I, I tell my son, be strong and. I'm coming to see you soon. And then he's like, and what do you say to your, your wife? And he's like, and I say to my wife, that's none of your fucking business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's none of your that goddamn was so, business. And then Jibudutsu just that was so good. Uh, it's like, yeah, man. He's like, I'm telling my wife some shit, you know, that's between us. And <laughs> I, I love that. Like that to me. Yeah, is, I love that too. That is yeah. blockbuster, major motion picture, yeah. epic filmmaking. Yeah. It's like, because that is how life is, is that even when yes. things are so goddamn grim, this is going to be a random reference, but like, I'm thinking of Manchester by the sea where like, mm. you know, right after the, the most horrible death of his brother in the beginning of Manchester by the sea, they're like arguing about like who should go upstairs in the hospital, but it's like the funniest fucking scene. And that balance of tone I think is necessary. And the only reason I, I well, yeah. And the reason I bring that up is just because, like, Robert Eggers does such a, a visual, like, I mean, look, visual splendor with the Northmen in, in adapting the Icelandic story of Amleth, which inspired Hamlet. I mean, such, like, this is a visual feast for the eyes in a lot of ways. But I can't think of one moment like that in this movie. I can't think of no, one I moment mean, they, like that in the Northman. In the two hours I was there, um, I can't well, think of. I mean, I, th I thought I had some comic relief in the first act, but it was almost comic relief because it was so like extreme, like some of the stuff with the court jester. But even that and was also, like, gnarly because the guy's like, you know, that's when the uncle's like, "Shut up," you know, and he's like, "Yeah, that's like, true." Oh, man, yeah, give no, me it a was chance, dude. those those moments were really intense. I mean, the whole movie is just so. I don't even know. Yes, it's either grim or just like over the top bombastic, and like and 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 yeah. I mean, we can just dive right into it. Like, I I that's kind of the reason why I wanted to pair these movies is because like I think that Eggers approached it with a singular interest and a singular kind of like vision of this time that that's more of a fantasy, and I don't think. And it's a compelling one. Like I don't, I don't hate it. I don't fault him necessarily for for pursuing that. But it do, it feels unchecked. Yeah. And and if you make something like that that's unchecked, then then audiences they may kind of admire it distantly, but they're not going to feel immersed in it. And Gladiator, it's not a perfect movie by any means, but it feel, but you feel actually its flaws are part of what makes make you love it. But Gives like it, it's charm, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It has a charm and and a feel of like, of um, like it feels really polished on one level, but it also feels like something that you want to return to because 
it's just it's it's complex and it feels like a living and breathing i mean that's giving a lot of credit but yes there's something that feels very alive about it and a lot of risks were taking and taken and a lot of details were thrown in as far as making rome feel making ancient rome feel alive in the year 2000 and now in the year 2022 it feels fresh and alive yeah. and like with the Northmen, it feels like someone's idea about Vikings. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I, I mean, it's it's touted as the most historically accurate Viking movie ever made. Right? Well, because at the end of the day, uh, I don't know if historical accuracy matters. <laughs> right. At the, at the, no, seriously, yeah. at the end yeah. of the day. Like, you want to get some stuff right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it doesn't. As far as making us care and making us believe it, yeah. you have to go for a sense of truth rather than a sense of fact. I mean, I would be. I'm sure he had a great time researching the movie, but did I get a sense of veracity from the movie? Not necessarily. Yeah, and and I think what you mean by that is just it's in it's a uh, it's so caught. It is it is a movie that's so caught up. So for the you know. Amleth, the story of Amleth in this film, played by Alexander Skarsgård, is a story that you've all heard many, many times in Hamlet and in Lion King. There is a, uh, a you know, a king who is murdered by his brother, and his brother uh, takes over the throne. The, the The son runs away and basically builds himself up to come and uh, seek vengeance on the uncle who murdered his father, and uh, took the throne from him and also stole his mother, you know, as, as his, as his new wife and, and ruler. And upon finding, you know, upon like building himself up as the, he calls what, what is the bear wolf. He builds himself as this bear wolf warrior. There's mm. a pretty yeah, impressive yeah. sequence um, that has like a really cool, like one take as, as you know, like when we first see this character as he's like reborn and he's hulking and he's, you know, a monster and Alexander Skargar has such great physicality. But anyway, so he, he finds his way, you know, like into winning this battle against this village and they, they murder a lot of innocent people as well. And then he brands himself as a slave so that he can find his way to um, the the village where his uncle is settled at the moment so he can see, get his vengeance on him and murder him. And, um, and, and, a, and a lot of the spiritual, there's, you know, this is a movie that the reason why we pair these two films is like, you know, like it, they're fueled, they're historical epics fueled by vengeance also. And, and then there's a lot of spiritual stuff. Now it's funny, the spiritual stuff mm -hmm. in Gladiator, you know, like is some of it is a little heavy handed, you know, and, and Ridley Scott is, you know, very, very, very religious person. And the spiritual stuff in the Northman is like, it's weird. I, I, there are some sequences that are, are really impressive, you know, like just in terms of just sonically and visually what he's doing, you know, the way that yeah. he's, yeah, yeah, you know, of like, but yeah. I, I didn't necessarily feel it's weird. It's like, I, I, I was enthralled just as an experience as how these things were composed, were composed, but I didn't necessarily feel the heart or the soaring, no. or the sort of soaring feeling that you get when you see something celestial. You know, I mean, there's like a, there's a crazy right, sequence right, when a right. horse is like leaping off of a 
cliff, you know, and you see Amleth as a boy, you know, like riding into the riding into the light, you know, of of the Norse gods of Od- Odin and all these people, you know, and and riding riding into Valhalla. There it is, and uh, and I don't, I, I, you know, like they're all so composed so beautifully, but I don't, I, I didn't necessarily feel just like just the gravitas, and I think it's because they're all it's all tied into the same tone of like just vengeance that there's, you know, like the spirituality in gladiator is not tied to just the vengeance stuff. It's tied to something other than that, you know? So, so we should, we should talk about that because this is one of the most interesting parts and we'll have to be, we'll have to dip back into gladiator first. Right. So first of all, like the script when it was written, it was written by Franzioni and then John Logan rewrote it. And then they were like pretty much heading into production on it. And then Ridley Scott at some point, I believe this is how it went down, like pretty close to production. Ridley Scott felt that they needed to add this like spiritual afterlife component to the narrative mm. uh, in order to make like contemporary audiences connect with it more so that we could connect with the vengeance plot more and that it would be kind of like bringing that other like warmer element to the whole thing. Um, and then, so they hired William Nicholson. William Nicholson was originally a playwright. What well, so was John Logan weirdly, but William Nicholson wrote a play, I believe in the late eighties called Shadowlands, uh, which is about CS Lewis who was a famous theologian, yeah. uh, Christian theologian, as well as being the, the guy who wrote the, Nar- Narnia. the Narnia books. Yeah. Also, like a poet and a um, and a se- very serious like Christian scholar, and so and they made a movie of Shadowlands with Anthony Hopkins and Deborah Winger. And Deborah Winger plays an American poet who visits C.S. Lewis, and they fall in love. And it's I think it's it's such a beautiful movie about. Um, about religion and literature and 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 writing and like uh spirituality and romance and like uh so anyways he has this reputation he's written some other great stuff and so they made him rewrite it and put in all these lines like your family will meet you in the afterlife and i will have my vengeance in this life and the next So with this new draft and all these new lines thrown in, and apparently they didn't even have a locked script when they were shooting. Wow. They, yeah, they had a fluid thing and Ridley Scott, and and I think there were a lot of producers involved in the process. And like, there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen uh, and Ridley Scott was just kind of throwing it together. And Russell Crowe was very stressed out because he didn't know if this thing was going to work. So he tried his best to just hold it down, but he honestly did not know that the movie was going to work and he was frustrated and and he and he would yell at the crew and stuff and get mad because he was like uh, that line. I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. He said, this is such bullshit. This is such drivel. Like he thought it was terrible, schmaltzy writing. And he said, but you know what? I'll make it work because I'm the best actor in the world and I can make all your shitty dialogue sound amazing. <laughs> and the and homie kind of literally did. the homie did dude the yeah. homie made that line work yeah. but i think that william nicholson was like on set doing tweaks and stuff like that and i don't think it's so this movie was a result of the friction of multiple people trying to craft something with no allegiance 
to with really no allegiance to historical accuracy or source material or anything like that. They're just like trying to make a compelling story. Yeah. And so, and one other thing I have to say is that I had a problem with it in a sense watching it because I know that uh, I'm pretty sure that this whole concept of the afterlife and the way they present it is a, is a Christian pseudo Christian belief. Right. And I, and, and at that time, those guys would not have been Christian. They would have, you know, had a Roman belief system in the Roman gods. And I don't think there, I don't know if there's a traditional afterlife or if it would be framed the same way. And they didn't reference any of the Roman gods or anything like that. So they just kind of did away with that. And they just went with vague Christian theology in an attempt to connect with mainstream Western audiences, which was honestly a really smart move. And then you look at something like, it's not historically accurate. I'll give, you know, and it's, and if you want like, yeah, like at this point in my life, now I'm ready for like the more historically accurate Roman religion version of the story. Like that would be awesome to see. But then you look at something like the Northmen where they double down and they're like, okay, we have to follow the Nordic religion to a T. Right. Um, there's, it's, it's interesting, but it feels uh, cerebral. Exactly. Exactly. It feels very cerebral. They, and if you do that, you have to find some way of, of just con connecting the dots and, and making us feel that somehow. And it's not an easy task, but yeah. 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 It feels very cerebral. And I, I think, I think, uh, it's weird, you know, that like I think I think just using it in in more lighthearted ways could have been more could have been interesting, you know, just just mm, just just right. to add some texture to the film, you know, because because some of the moments, you know, like make sense. Like there's a moment before they do this battle, which I I think is my favorite spiritual moment in the movie, where it's the moment where like it's it's also just photographed like kind of otherworldly but you know the character uh, there's this character center framed who's also one of these barbaric warriors who's wearing the fur and he's standing and it's pouring rain and there's a fire in front of him and then they're all chanting and he's chanting in front of his soldiers and then all of them are just like around the fire and you know like the camera just slowly comes into them as they're all like moving around the fire those moments worked for me. That 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 yeah. that worked. Yeah. That worked. But it's just there are others like, you know, when we see the the sort of tree of the the, the vines of lives that have been lost. That one's like a right, right, right. A little cerebral and a little like on the nose, I thought. And then, you know, I already mentioned the one with the kid moving towards the Vike, you know, like like moving towards uh uh Valhalla, you know, and then and then even just like the build up to hell in the end is like, it's almost like, it's just so, it's, it's like over, I, I don't know. It's, it's like over, it's too much from, it was just a yeah. little heavy handed for me, you know, cause, oh, oh, do, 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 do. you know, it's like, okay, just. Well, and, th and that's what I mean about someone's idea of Vikings, because it's like, we all have this sort of stereotype of Vikings as being really, I mean, and it's not purely a stereotype, but it's like when we say the word Viking and when we evoke that, we think of something that's so heavy and intense yeah. and, and masculine. And, and after seeing a movie like this, you think, okay, well maybe, 
it wasn't all like that. You know, maybe not every word that came out of their mouths was like, yeah, just like you know? an, an absolute gravel, you know, just yeah. dog-like kind of sound. Yeah, it, it, it really, and even because even the love story gets sort of bogged down by that. You know, yeah. I think, yeah, I think uh, that actress um, Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah, I think she does a really, I think she does a good job. But I, I just, yeah. I think that we still have Amlet so caught up in playing this like playing the tone of the movie, you know, like so caught in playing the tone of the movie that I, I missed the, I missed the moment of, of even those two characters being interested in each other. I missed, like, I didn't really see where that right. moment that even, makes sense. I, I, I can't even put a finger on where was that moment where you saw, oh, okay, that's where he's interested in her. I just, I you just, you know, like uh, after that incredibly choreographed, yeah sports sequence which we which we which we had that was my that that was the best part of the film beautifully beautifully core hats off that is an absolutely nordic nordic rugby whatever it's called that nordic rugby sequence incredible fucking beautifully rendered yeah and and you you know why that was good was because the stakes were felt and there wasn't so much of like you know like this this overbearing music robert edgar's yeah, it's like, right, bro, right. you are yeah. a phenomenal visualist and you are so good at choreography that like sometimes like you really don't need that much. Like, I, you know, like he doesn't like in that sequence, I, I was like, yo, like this is what I'm talking about. You don't even you don't need all, like so many chants and all this like, you know, a uh, uh, sort just, of o- cup overfloweth of tone because you, <laughs> it, it's like you you already do it so well with just how you're staging the actors and just the way that the scene is set that like that scene encompass that that's why that scene you can sort of feel the dread and and the, the mortality and these characters fighting for their lives and at that moment even though you know Amleth has to have this final fight I, I wasn't sure if he was gonna make it in that scene I was like I don't know if he's gonna make it that was the most hmm. surprising and edge of my seat that I wasn't in, in the entire film yeah but yeah but oh yeah but after that that's when his character Amleth ends up spending the the evening with Olga, you know. When they bed down yeah, in the meadows. Yeah, yeah, when they bed down, yeah, like in the flower and, and he's given a woman. Yeah, that was cool. It, yeah. it like visually was cool. It's just that I just still just didn't, you know, it would have been nice to just like have a little bit of humor there or just see the moment where he's like, what if he's a little nervous? Has he, has he ever been with a woman? You know, and I think that he said that he had never been with anyone, if, if I'm not mistaken, that he had never been with anyone since a child or whatever you know like or loved anyone yeah so you know like it would have been nice to just even it's a little see, hard to believe to even see just like character like if if that is what we're going with what if he's nervous you know like yeah there's just yeah, other yeah, yeah. um facets that i think would have just peppered in which which could have been which could have been interesting to to explore yeah i totally agree i mean simplicity is not always it's not always the answer and in a movie that's already pretty dynamic and layered you know, on some, in some ways, I feel like the narrative was was really dialed back, and the world was pretty dialed back. I don't know. I mean, like I said, I think I I guess what interests like yeah, we can talk about the Northmen more specifically, and and I agree with what you said about the staging and stuff. Like especially in the first in the first act, I thought the strongest part of the Northmen was besides the rugby scene, but like. The first act when Amleth is a kid mm-hmm. and his dad gets killed and all of that stuff and with Ethan Hawke like 
that stuff I thought was really well done. And there were some scenes in there where I was astonished by how, how well staged it was. And I guess even towards the end, there were some, like the scene with uh, Nicole Kidman, like the big kind of confession. That turn that scene, scene like I absolutely completely agree on, on highlighting yeah. Uh, yeah. that twist where she reveals that she was part of conspiring against uh, the, you know, uh, the original, the yeah, of, the death of yeah. Ethan Hawke and, and, and Emma's father. Yeah, and, yeah. and she's confessing that she was actually in love with the uncle. That was, that was cool. And Nicole Kidman, it was a good, tw- beast, it was a good twist. She was beast mode yeah. acting in there. I, I guess it's not so much that I didn't like the Northmen or anything, but what I find interesting is that like in seeing the difference between like an, I mean, cause also what was the budget? I've been wanting to ask, let's look at the budgets real quick. Norseman seventy to ninety. Seventy to ninety from the Northman, and then Gladiator, according to Wikipedia, is one hundred and three million. Yeah. And so, in today's dollars, that might be closer to like one twenty. So, okay, Gladiator has a slightly bigger budget, but they're basically both studio epics. Mm-hmm. Would you, Would you agree? Okay, I think it's interesting where we've come in in that time. That basically, I don't really view. And I don't think Ridley Scott really views himself as like an auteur in the way that Robert Eggers does. He's also kind of at the beginning of his career, especially compared to where Ridley was. I mean, Ridley had made so many films up until this point. But but I guess my point is like, to me, Gladiator is an old school collaboration of movie people that in a sense, it feels like an egoless project. I know that sounds weird, but it sounds, but to me, it's, it, it feels like a collaboration or maybe it's a collaboration of like a dozen key people who have huge egos, but they're all trying to shepherd. It's like iron sharpening iron. Yeah. It's a phrase that you and I use right. where it's like, it's like you are trying to be hard on your collaborators and try to bring the best out of them. And to me, the Northman is, is a product of someone who achieved a sense of becoming like a director name and has like a cool brand and style. And it was showcased in his two smaller films. And then he was able to get the trust of a studio to be like, okay, this guy will make a, a, a weird, you know, but compelling and epic film. And this guy really knows what he's doing yeah. and let's give him a bunch of money. And I support that obviously, but in that something is missing. And I mean, to be honest, I don't know if I trust the current, the current sort of group think in Hollywood to be able to make a movie as good as gladiator. Yeah. If that makes sense. But like, I think you're right. I think you're right. I mean, there are very few studios a that have these kind of executives and producers who, 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 who are supportive of not, not trying to just make their bottom line, but also make something that yes, again, exactly. like, that is a consummate, you know, epic experience with Eggers. I mean, you have someone who obviously I think like he's very confident, you know, there's a very, very, there's a confidence you can feel in, in, yeah. in his camera work and the way that the actors are staged and the way that all the scenes are staged. But then in that, in that confidence, it's funny because we were talking about like just the making of Gladiator and there's so much fluidity, you know, and you can, and yeah, you can is, see it actually. and feel it. And sometimes yeah. I do think that uh, that style can can help inform. I think when it comes to epics, especially, 
when you're making mm. a, a you know like a smaller at least more honed in picture right. i think that like you know like yeah just go go singular visionary with it but even um you know even james cameron like you know if he, yes. if he writes and directs something there's still some you know you can sort of still feel a fluidity in like all right let's just figure out this scene together you know you can kind of yeah. feel yeah. that like actors are just informing the way at certain lines yeah. and they don't feel over directed it feels like everyone's voice is is just as important in, in fleshing this thing out and that's not to say that the northman wasn't that case you know because i'm sure that a lot of the collaborators were very involved but it, it just does feel that like but i got a sense of like they call it like yesing it's like you know eggers wants us to do this okay he's a genius we'll do that yeah yeah i don't know yeah it's no i think christopher nolan is probably the only filmmaker right now who's who's delivering epics on that level as 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 writer director you know i think he's probably like the only person well he's got his wife to keep him in show <laughs> <laughs> he's got emma emma thomas yeah that's right, right that's right he's got his wife yeah i remember uh just reading about dunkirk because initially uh, i don't know if you remember this but like chris nolan was gonna make dunkirk and he didn't he wanted to shoot it without a script and his wife was like yes his wife was like, uh-uh. Yeah. She was like, yeah. uh-uh, we're not doing that. <laughs> she's like, you you ain't God. Yeah, Chris. yeah. She's yeah. like, she's like, bring it down. Bring yeah. it down, Batman. You know, like, <laughs> you know. No, but I, I think what you said about having a sense of looseness, and I think that's a really good point. Like, yeah, and it's just something that people forget, because especially in the age of previs and all that stuff, yeah. it's like, oh, how could we possibly wing it on a $100 million movie? You know, like, let I mean, me ask you a question. Like, Do you actually think yeah. that scene where Russell Crowe gets that bowl and like says, I don't think that that scene was written that way. I, I would actually be willing to put money down that that scene, like that scene feels yeah. so, uh, you know, obviously like it, it, you know, like they had to end up writing it just to shoot the coverage and whatnot, but that scene felt so alive and just kind of random. Or even the scene with Russell Crowe that we brought up with Judah, like, this says my wife is just none of your business that like that yes. feels like a scene where they're just like, Hey, you know what? This, this scene, Russell, you can say whatever the hell you want, you know, like just try something else. Well, well, and actually that's another thing that I read is that Russell Crowe did ad lib a lot of the dialogue and like, apparently he wrote the line. He came up with the name Maximus Decimus Meridius. Oh, wow. Like, and there was some other, I wish I remembered it right now, but there was some other thing. Oh yeah. Okay. This is amazing. The thing, when he gets asked by Marcus Aurelius uh, about, because he's like, I want to go home. And he's like, tell me about home. And then he starts talking about his farm yeah. and how the soil is black like his wife's hair. Oh. Supposedly, Russell Crowe, he wrote that. like Wow. He wrote that himself. And he was drawing upon his own experiences because he has a farm in, I think, New Zealand or, or Australia. And, he, and his wife and kid were there. So he was actually drawing off... It's real shit, and that's why it feels so authentic. That's wild. <laughs> Isn't that nuts? That's pretty wild. It's so, it's so unique, and I love that. I love that, and and I think I think you know for for look, I'm excited about what Eggers is going to continue to do because, again, like if he's directing on the level he's directing on his third movie, I mean, goddamn, like what's coming next? I'm sure is going to be virtuoso, you know. But I think it would be nice to see what he did with Lighthouse, honestly. Like, like some moments in well, Lighthouse are like, you could tell are like pretty, you know, like 
uh, wacky and out there and you know characters are sort of definitely ad-libbing a little bit and farting and you know so well, yeah yeah it was interesting because like i i liked the lighthouse and then i kind of like in the couple years after that sort of like wasn't i don't know i didn't think about it a lot but then Right. When I saw the Northmen, I realized how great the lighthouse was, and I feel like what what made it so good was actually the writing. Yes, and like, and I feel like the writing was so thorough, and so, and and the the way the plot evolved and then folded back in on itself, and it created this like very thorough, uh, but yet very self contained world. I felt like he was doing that because he knew that he had to. Right. In order to make this small movie with these two actors as like interesting and dynamic and compelling as possible. But then with this, I feel like he was so invested in the visual and well, like you said, the blocking, the choreography yeah. and also and the tone. Yeah. And the anthropological aspect mm, of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like that shit is not, it just, it just wasn't there. It just wasn't there in the, in the script. And, and um yeah, and so to me, The Lighthouse, even though it's such a strange movie, it felt very complete to me. Yeah, yeah. And The Northman felt very kind of incomplete to me, but not, it's not bad. It's not, oh yeah. my God, The Northman is still, like, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to still rewatch some sequences from it, you know, because, yeah, like the, like the, the Viking uh, rugby sequence or the, you know, like, I, I, you, I, but know. I feel like, I feel like it's cool. I'm just, I would be curious to know what non filmmaker filmmakers thought, think of it, but I just feel like it's cool for filmmakers. Yes. I don't know if it's cool for, for just people in general. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. And I'm, but, but I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong and I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of people. Yeah. It didn't do well at the box office. So, I mean, they're losing money on it. That's like a, that's a thing, you know, um, maybe that's a thing you know yeah. maybe it'll it'll get some money in streaming or something but i i know that the the that the budget was was too high and and and, and yeah like it, it just didn't have the i think it's both in the marketing and in the movie just not having the full like clock checking all those boxes of entertainment value that audiences need you know like to to go to the cinema and but it's a it's a it's a you know it's a strong so still a strong picture and you know, like, I think there's a lot more. Another thing I just want to, a comment I made, I wanted to make is just, I mean, I, I've yeah. never watched the show Vikings, but I think there's, I, I've always been very interested in Norse mythology because it, there is a sort of grandness to it, you know. Whereas like, yeah, and we've see, seen definitely. so much in Greek mythology that like Norse, I, I think there's a lot of room to explore there. And um, this movie, yes. I don't think did. I was like, oh man, is this going to be like the one that like really feels like Norse mythology? And not really, you know, uh, I think th- th- there's a lot more to explore there for us to just feel what true like Norse mythology and Odinism and, you know, like in the gods and just like what the different gods feel like and how they inform cultures. I I, I, yeah. I would love to see yeah. more, more stuff in this, in this, in this realm. Um, again, like yeah, similar to what you're saying yeah. about, uh, uh, you know, Roman, Roman stuff. Yeah. And I would love to see that with, with the Greek gods too. I mean, like that would be the coolest to me. Right. But, right. Well, Disney's yeah. making a new Hercules movie live action. So I guess we'll get it with that. Oh yeah. That, that will <laughs> do, that'll do the trick. <laughs> <laughs> and we That's, will go the distance. Who's, who's playing him? J- is it like Jason Momoa or something like that? <laughs> Jason Momoa is Hercules. Joking. 
I'm not. I don't think they've cast it yet. I don't think they've cast no. it yet. I bet it's a very short list. Great to sort of evaluate and 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 look at these epics and as they're you know continuing to evolve and visually sonically you know I mean we are growing in ways and there are some ways that we can continue to grow but um god damn I love a good epic <laughs> I love him so much and I mean I just yeah, hope that yeah. I hope that with the Northmen that like like we, we still keep because I'm just thinking of the Northmen and I know that the remake of Ben-Hur was absolute trash you know but I just hope that we just continue trying to make trying to make these again because I think a new version of this historical epic uh, uh, could be, you know, just, just more of these. There's just more ground to cover. When you were talking about Eggers bouncing back and doing something after this, after, you know, uh, I mean, Northman seems like it's, it's well-received by critics, not so much by the audience, but like uh, it reminds me of D- Denis with uh, Blade Runner. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. How how he was like he took that hit, and then was like, okay, now I'm really gonna deliver and like figure out Dune. Yes, yes, and, yes. Um, I think that is a very very good point because Blade Runner does also it's a similar movie. It gets caught up in its tone, but then like yeah. Dune hits. You know, like yeah, like he realized it's almost like he he sat with an audience and he realized, okay, yeah. those are the beats I was missing. You know, and then with Dune delivered and uh, part two, I'm so hyped to see. Yeah, and he also no because he actually said like, I'm surprised that they that the studio let me do more movies after Blade Runner. So like he was humbled by that experience. Yeah. And um, that's right. Well, I guess that's that's all she wrote on these historical epics. Thank you for <laughs> joining us, those who stayed, and uh, thank you, family, as Stefan would say. That's right. All right, and we're out. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Peace. Thank you.